RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Hey, let's all watch the countdown for tonight, shall we? Actually, we already did that part. Uh, this is when Earl gives us the go-ahead, and that means it's Tuesday. It's 7 p.m. Well, it is on the West Coast anyway, 10 p.m. on the East Coast. East side! It's Facebook Live, and it can only be Mission Log Live. Hi, everybody. I'm Ken Ray. And hi, everybody else. I'm John Champion, and welcome to the show. Looking for your Star Trek pals? Well, you found us. We are your pals. That makes you our Star Trek pals and we are here to talk Trek, talk Discovery, talk about whatever you like. The lines are open and ready for you. 669-900-6833 is the number to call. You'll type in the meeting code, or you can be fancy with the one tap, or you can show us what you look like by using the Zoom link. This week, holy cow, are we getting down to the wire uh, with the next to the last episode of Star Trek Discovery's second season, Such Sweet Sorrow, Part one. Is it actually, do we know that for a fact? Is next week actually Such Sweet Sorrow Part two? I'm going to say it is because if they called it part one, then I'm just going to say it's part two. It no, might okay. be something else. It might be, uh, hey, uh, sorry, show's over, guys. That yeah, might be the time. Right. <laughs> Were you here last week? That was it. Yeah. And joining us this week, as always, it is you. It is time for your questions. It's time for your comments. Do you have questions and thoughts about Such Sweet Sorrow? that you would like to share with us. We would love to hear them. Join our Zoom meeting. Use the one tap from your smartphone or call 669-900-6833. 669-900-6833. Earl is standing by. So now uh, remind me, Ken, such sweet, sweet sorrow. That's, uh, that's Dickens, right? No, a lot, of people, a lot of people think so. No, it's Van Halen. Oh, it's Van Halen. Right, yeah. right, right. Because I know that when, when Star Trek writers, when they're looking to slip in a literary <laughs> reference, the order is uh, Melville, uh, yeah. Dickens, the Bible, Van Halen, Shakespeare. Yeah. Oh, That's the way it goes. Wait a minute. It might yeah. be Shakespeare. It might be Shakespeare. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. so right. So, you know, when in doubt, when in doubt. Hey, let's say hello to people who are joining us in the chat tonight. Well, some fashion comments, Ken, right off the, the bat here. Uh, uh, Brandon says, oh, my God, Ken, that shirt is amazing. This shirt is amazing. You're not wrong, Brandon. Although I got to say, and, and by the way, for the audio podcast, this is why you join us for live video. <laughs> this is why you do it. Uh, for people listening in, um, I'm, wearing a, I'm wearing a shirt uh, given to me by the good people at Cryptic. Of course, the people behind uh, Star Trek Online. So this is sort of a Hawaiian shirt. Really more of a Risa shirt, though. There's a uh, there's no Ryan girl on it. There's a Gorn. Uh, there's a there's a Horgon. Hello, um, all kinds of stuff. I will say though, uh, for fashion, <laughs> Sean's got like this 1960s uh, uh, Batman DB series villain thing going on. Mm. I think I think he is neon, and and as soon as the show's over, he's going to go fight Batman. Well, see, you, you're very close. It is 1960s. This is actually from Sherry's London. This is sort of the original mod supplier. Is that so, true? Uh, it, it is. It is. There's uh, the yeah. There you go. Look at that little Union Jack right there. So um, right. you know, you want to know where Keith Moon and uh, Pete Townsend got their obnoxious jackets? That's the place to go. Shout out to Sherry's London. Uh, yeah. Well, and Chris Riker says uh, John is number six. Who is number one? You are number six. So, uh, yeah, and hello to uh, Tracy Coco. What up? Hello to Casey. Hello to Rick. Hello to Aaron. Hello to Scott. Matthew. Uh, we got Joshua saying, hi, John. Hi, Ken. Hi, Earl. Hi, computer. Hi, Ray. <laughs> nice. Uh, that. That's good. Right. We got, uh, we got Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin, who says, is that from Carnaby Street? Yes. Yes, it is from Carnaby Street. Uh, you got Rick. You got David. Um, you got, and, and yes, just a, a handful of people saying, what, John, you're working on your birthday? Yeah, I'm working on my birthday because, hey, it's Mission Log Live. The show waits for nobody unless I'm out of the country and don't have a strong enough internet connection. But, but here I am this week to do the show with all you guys. Hey to Narda. Hey to Joshua. Hey to Vicky, uh, Michael. Just so many people joining us on the live show tonight. Cannot wait to hear what your comments are as we get deep into such sweet sorrow part one. Now we do want to thank everybody for checking us out here live on Facebook or 
If you catch the video later on YouTube at youtube.com slash Prod, that's fantastic. Thank you very much, and hi to you. Uh, if you're catching the audio-only podcast, or the audio-only podcast, excuse me, that's great as well. Basically, wherever you find us, we do ask for a couple of favors. Please hit like, please hit share, and then uh, try to join us live at some point, because the more people that are here live, that's the more voices joining the uh, conversation, and that is never a bad thing. Uh, so, funny story. Yeah? You got a funny We've- story? Well, it's a comedy of errors might be the best way to put it, which I think was also okay. Van Halen. Um, so uh, we have been saying almost every Thursday or almost every Tuesday that we've got an event coming up and it's going to be on Thursday. And then the following Tuesday, we're like, yeah, no, it's going to be another. It's going to be another one after that. I think we're finally to a place now where we can say technically what it is we've been trying to do. Please, because um, the suspense is yeah. killing you and me and everybody else. Yeah. So Roddenberry Entertainment, several years ago, several years ago now, uh, made a 360 film called The White Room. And it's, it's you know, it's a short film, about 15, 20 minutes long, if memory serves. I don't think I've ever actually seen the whole thing, because what I've always wanted to be able to do was see it the way that it was meant to be, which is, of course, in a 360-degree uh, setting, right? So we're talking about what we're going to play in the Roddenberry Theater. And somebody says, hey, we should play the White Room. And I said, because I thought, well, this will be fun and easy. (laughs) Great. It's a 360 degree film. Let's do it that way. And then a month and a half to two months later, we think we finally have the ability to do it. But you know what happened? We've run out of time. Rod was actually part of making the White Room. He wants to be there. But he's uh, he's gone like next week or this week, rather. And then uh, John wants to be part of it. But he's gone the week after that. So the good news is we now have the technical ability to do what it is we wanted to do. <laughs> the bad news is we're still not doing it. But as soon as we do have a firm date, we will let you know. And I did want to explain to people, it has honestly been interesting to see how much stuff has to go into that. Because, I mean, first of all, Manage your assets, people. I, I know what you're thinking, but manage your assets because if you lose one and you think, well, it'll be easy to find, you know, maybe not. Uh, the good people at Sensor have done a lot to try to make this thing work now, and it sounds like it is going to work. Not now because we're not going to be there now, but we're ready. So stand by. That's coming soon. But if you had planned to join us in Sensor this week, uh, don't. I mean, go there anyway and do other stuff. Just don't look for us because we won't be there. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of showing White Room, uh, very cleverly, Michael says, is the soundtrack the White Album? And then and then Carlos chimes in, and he, he just says, it's at the station. Okay. I see. It's been, I don't, I'm not 100% on that. Cream, see, cream Eric Clapton. Oh, see, because I would actually probably do, I would go more KLF. I would say the White Room, you know, it's going to rock you, because, you know, okay. KLF, they do that too. All, yeah. all good stuff. So I, I love the low-key reference. Well, you know that we love the low-key reference. That's kind of what we built our brand on. So thank you for that. Um, hey, and before we move on to the poll this week, uh, as I do every time, I want to mention our fundraiser that we are supporting for our pal Scott Palm, who is in the audience tonight. He's in the chat tonight. So if you see Scott, Say hi, because he'll be saying hi back to you. It is, of course, to support Scott's efforts with the Pop Culture Hero Coalition created by Chase Masterson with the effort, with the mission to end childhood bullying. Now, Scott, who has cerebral palsy, has uh, directed his efforts at particularly helping kids who have physical disabilities. And it's not just about uh, improving their lives and giving a sense of identity, but it's also about uh, coaching their peers to learn the values of inclusion. And, um, you know, it could not be closer to the uh, uh, some of the central ideas of Star Trek. So please, Go check out the GoFundMe page for Scott Palm. I have pinned it to our Twitter page and to Facebook. And the best part about this is that the Roddenberry Foundation is matching dollar for dollar everything that we raise. Now, it's been very exciting for me to see those numbers go up. Uh, that has been amazing. And Ken, big thanks to you because you mentioned it on Mac OS, Ken. And I'm seeing the comments here from people like Mike saying inspired by Ken Ray, David saying if Mac OS Ken and Star Trek are involved, it must be a great cause. 
David says, Ken Ray said so, but in all seriousness, this sounds like a great organization and any attempt to make the world a healthier place should be lauded. And it just goes on and on and on and people saying live long and prosper and they're Trekkies. And uh, this is great. This is what it's all about, folks. So remember, you can find it on our Facebook page pinned to the top after this show and you can find it pinned to our Twitter page, Mission Log Pod. Any amount helps. And if you can't give anything, share the link, get the word out, because every dollar that we do raise, remember, is doubled by the Roddenberry Foundation. Thanks, everybody who's doing that. And now uh, we move on to the poll. Uh, Last week, the question was, how about those crystals? What do you like, time crystals or Folgers crystals? Uh, Time crystals amazingly won 54%. Uh, Folgers crystals came in at 46%, which I don't understand because I know that Folgers crystals is not the best coffee, but it's still coffee, people. Come on. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, that was last week's poll. Uh, John, what do we have this week? Uh, This week, the question we posed to you, Mekaleka High. The answers are either Ahali Kapo, which is a 62%, or Mekajambiho at 38%. Now, uh, people were asking me in the Facebook page, they were saying, shouldn't that be Mekaleka High, Mekahaini Ho? You're not wrong. But remember the second part of the chant, it's Mekaleka High, Mekahaini Ho, Mekaleka High, Mekajambiho. Of course, Jambi played by the great John Paragon. So uh, there you have it. And uh, my favorite part of this poll, and really every poll, is the confusion that we sow on Facebook. And, and people just laughing and not understanding at all. That is really what I live for every week at about 5.45, 6 o'clock every Tuesday. I honestly wonder if some people voted just because they thought, wait, what is her name? I, I think it's the top one. Like if they thought we were just like trying to fool them on, on which one is actually the character that was in this week's episode of Discovery or last oh, week's episode. Winning. Yeah, she's winning right now with 62% over Mecca Jambiho, 38%. Um, look, I, there, there really is no wrong answer here. There really is not. Okay. Well, <laughs> stop. Stop. There's no wrong answer. Hey, look, I, I bet we will have a lot to talk about with this episode, and I bet that our listeners will have a lot to talk about with this episode. Ken, if you would do us the honor of the recap, and then we can just dive right into the discussion. Right. Time to blow up discovery. It's the only way to make sure the AI knowledge from the red blobby thing doesn't fall into the hands of the evil manufactured intelligence control. With nearly everyone evacuated to the Enterprise, Michael Burnham is supposed to bring the time crystal over when she departs, but she can't help touching the crystal and glimpsing the future. Not pretty. With all aboard the Enterprise, time to blow up Discovery. But Discovery, more really the knowledge from the red blobby thing, has other ideas. It wants to live, so it disables self-destruct, which had been set by Pike and Saru, and throws up shields, which had been disabled by Pike and Saru, and refuses to let the ship be destroyed. Inexplicably, it is now that we see more clearly what Burnham saw when she grabbed the time crystal. Control, in the form of Leland, kills Discovery's crew. One by one. And the Enterprise has a torpedo lodged in its hull. Burnham knows that nothing they try to do will destroy Discovery. Instead, using the time crystal, they need to send Discovery to the future, out of Control's reach. So here's the plan. Using the Section 31 plant for the Red Angel suit, they'll build another one to be worn and piloted by Michael Burnham. She'll open a wormhole, fly through, dragging Discovery behind her. What about getting her back? Well, somebody had to make the red bursts in the sky. Somebody with a Red Angel suit who wasn't Burnham's mom. It must have been or will be Burnham, which means she'll be back? Just then, the fifth red burst appears, so Discovery's crew heads back to Discovery. It'll spore jump to the location of the latest burst, with Enterprise following along at its ridiculously slow warp speed. Both ships will also prepare for battle, since a slew of Section 31 ships, controlled by control, is hot on their tail. The red burst, it takes Discovery to Zahia, home of Tilly's friend Poe, Queen of Zahia, See the short trek runaway for more information. She is wicked smart and starts working up a plan to charge the time crystal. There's just one problem. It's a one-way trip. Burnham will not be able to come back from the future. And thus begins a litany of goodbyes 
Culbert to Stamets, Burnham to Tyler, Burnham to Sarek and Amanda. Sarek felt a disturbance in the force or something. Burnham to Giorgio, Tilly to her mom, Saru to his sister, Awoshukun to her folks, Didmer to somebody. Hey, wait a second. What is going on here? A portion of Discovery's crew has decided to stay with Burnham on her one-way trip. There's a snag, of course. The time crystal's not charging as fast as it should. Engineer Reno has a plan. It'll show her the future, but she says she can work through that. There is a potential issue, though. The future she sees is the one Burnham saw. Control killing the crew, torpedo, and the hull of the Enterprise. Should that still be the future? Also, Tyler tells Pike that he needs to do something. Presumably, he'll be leaving from the Enterprise since they both just beam off to Discovery, or off of Discovery, rather. The Section 31 control controlled fleet arrives. Prepare for battle. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You will. <laughs> yeah. It was short. I, you know, because, yeah. um, okay. Well, can, can I, can I just say no, not please. since, not since return of the King have there been so many long goodbyes in one short period of time? Yeah. 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 There was, there was lots you, of, you know, I, so the first two times I watched this episode, that's what bothered me about it okay. because it, it was a lot of goodbyes and it, mm-hmm. it was the goodbye episode. Right. And, and then finally, the third time I watched it, I think because I knew that was coming, I focused mm-hmm. on the other stuff. So I actually liked it better on the third viewing because I wasn't paying attention to that. I wasn't just getting bogged down with those emotional moments, which were acted well. But again, it was just a lot. It was just a ton of that. Can I really quickly, and this is a question that we have raised a time or two. Um, were those emotional moments earned? Uh, somewhere, somewhere not. Okay. Um, yeah, some, some were fine. And, and some, I, look, we could go through one by one by one. Like, one that I felt really didn't work for me. Uh, we all love Saru. I like the idea of Saru, you know, people grabbing stuff out of their quarters. If you just did a montage of that, fine. He took the knife, fine. But then yeah. they committed the cardinal sin of uh, tell rather than show. He already got the knife. He already, yeah. already did that. We don't need to have a conversation about him talking about why he took the knife. Also, yeah. he's not always the most stable member of the crew. How do we feel about him walking around with a knife? I mean, yeah, just, they're, they're, they're going into battle. So, well, they are, they're, but, but they're not going into battle right that second, are they? Can I, so can I tell you the, the part that amazed me? And it was similar to another part that I was really surprised by how much it affected me when, uh, mm. when it came up. And I'm curious if you had the same thing. Okay. Talk to me about uh, the moment that Pike walks onto the Enterprise for the first time. Oh, it hit me twice. Yeah. Because first of all, it, it was just hearing the sound effects and hearing mm-hmm. the, the Enterprise doors open and even the little details like the um, that metal kind of honeycomb mesh material yeah. that they used in the original series and get pieces of that in here. Mm-hmm. So that shows how you can do a new interpretation, a new design that have these little hallmarks that just make you think, yeah, this is the way it would look if that were designed now, instead of Mm -hmm. completely reinventing the wheel. Then it hit me again when it gets onto the bridge. And the bridge just felt like home. Even though it was new, even though it was a redesign, enough stuff. In the turbo lift, having the little hand grip and and riding up in the turbo lift on that. Landing on the bridge and just the color scheme. Again, it didn't have to be the same. It had to be just enough that I felt like home. And I felt like Pike felt at home and I, I loved it. I got to tell you, it's, I mean, and, and the thing is, it is not the original bridge. Right. It is not Jeffrey Hunter. I could not speak. I yeah. mean, because I was watching it with somebody and then they were like, what's wrong? And I seriously got choked up. And thinking about it now, I still get choked up. And I don't know. I don't know if that is, I don't know if that's Denton Mount. I don't know if, I don't know what that is because honestly, well, I mean, it, it, it's going back on the enterprise, I think. Yeah, because yeah. you're right. I never understood that thing that he holds on to and it always seemed kind of silly to me. But the second I saw him do that, I was like, ah, oh, wait, right. I mean, yeah. there was, there was a pang all of a sudden of something that I have, uh, 
that I've been missing since we moved on to the animated series that yeah. I didn't realize that I didn't realize how much it really, how much it affected me to the point that you can take me onto this thing. That's very obviously a new set with a new actor in the hands of new writers. And I'm like, yeah, I want to, I want to jump ship. Like when, when he goes <laughs> flying off, you know, in the next, in the next episode, uh, I want to stow away if I can. And we're getting more of number one, who we, we got so little of to begin with. And I, and I just kept thinking, like, look, for, for the problems that I had with this episode, and I apologize, by the way, we, we have Jim, we have Corey, we have Cosmo, we have Brian and David waiting. We are going to get to you, I promise. Jim, I see you standing by very patiently. Um, the, the problems that I had with this episode, I think, would not have been problems if they hadn't all been crammed into this episode. We had mm. these great moments of the competence of the Enterprise crew. We had great moments of discovery with the Discovery crew. And had that been what we got over the course, say, three episodes, I think I would have enjoyed that ride a lot more. But instead, we had other story tangents that kept taking us off into these other directions. So there were story elements before that I felt like could have been handled in a few minutes and the stuff, the good stuff that I got out of this, I wanted more of over a longer period of time. Um, I can't can't rewrite the show here. That's something we do on Mission Log. We just rewrite an episode. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Um, it is also something I do in my spare time. By the way, it is. Uh, it is. Yeah. So so yeah. I had mixed feelings here. I, I really did, and and um, I'm hoping that our listeners will be able to uh, clarify and crystallize our thoughts on this. Jim, thank you for waiting. How can we address your questions and comments tonight? What's up, man? Evening, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. What's on your mind? Well, I, I wanted to ask you a question about um, about the way Discovery looks. It's, it's cinematography, but I wanted to ask you a side question first um, about control. So I'm really, I'm really enjoying season two. I enjoyed season one too. I, I liked season one a lot. It wasn't perfect, but very much enjoyed. See, but, but think about control. What do you think its motive is? I mean, is it just the idea that AI must destroy humanity to save the peace? We've gotten very little about what its goal actually is. Why does it want to destroy everything hundreds of years in the future? Yeah, I wish I, I, I'll tell you, honestly, something I was thinking about when I was watching it again earlier today, control as, yeah, I wish we knew more about why control does what it does, because the fact that they keep calling it Leland's fleet, the fact that they keep saying that Leland is coming. I mean, it, it's really become a thing where it sort of revels in Michael Burnham's suffering, and that kind of just makes it a bad guy. The thing mm -hmm. that was scary about the Borg and the thing that was troubling about the Borg queen is one of the scariest things about the Borg is they didn't care about you. They didn't know who you were. You didn't even exist as far as they were concerned. If they could assimilate your world without you being there, that's fine. If you get in their way, they're going to crush you. It was never until we got the queen. It was never about, oh, you remember me, Picard, or, you know, any of those kinds of things, right? The it comes thing is down to... Yep. Sorry, it all comes down to the villain having to have a face. Right, right, exactly. Right, which, I mean, like the whole thing about when when Burnham said in last week's episode, I guess it was, uh, or the 11th episode, um, that uh, Leland can, or the control can go from one person to another now. Well, of course, because control's a computer program. Control can go everywhere. The fact that it took this long for, you know, 31 ships to be controlled by control to fly against them is a little odd. Yeah, I wish I wish we knew more about why control was doing what it was doing maybe they'll reveal that next week or maybe they'll be happy with it just being a you know mm -hmm. mustache twirling villain uh curious john your thoughts on control yeah well it's interesting I'm, I'm reading in the chat here benjamin uh kind of reiterates that it goes to the disco fail evil computer wants to kill everything but not a whiff of a reason why and i i i feel like and i hope somewhere in the writer's bible uh for this season or, or there was some discussion about it well, it, it's a computer. It sees anything that is not like it as a pest, but extrapolate pest to enemy that must be destroyed. I, I, I hope somebody had that discussion. I hope they kind of walked through it and maybe we'll get some discussion of that in the last episode to come. Um, 
but yeah, we're, we're missing a big piece of this puzzle here. It goes from computer that wants to be sentient slash is sentient. We don't quite know because it's got a part of the sphere data, but not all of the sphere data there. There's just too much unanswered here. And you could have probably spent some time with control vis-a-vis Leland or Gantt or whatever form it was taking to at least get across its prime directive. And, and, and we don't know. Yeah. It's a little hard to, uh, to parse all of that. Um, what else, Jim? Well, the, the main question I wanted to ask you is about, um, the way discovery looks, the, the visual style, the lighting, the camera work, and, and of course the lens flares. Um, and I, and I'm wondering, if if the look of the show really matches the story that's being told right now, the reason I ask is is like in in season one we had a much darker story, right? We had uh, a war story. We had our protagonist being a convicted criminal. We had a sociopath in charge of the ship. Um, and although I'm really loving the story this year, I find when I'm watching, I'm just slightly uncomfortable there's 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 an aesthetic clash going on and i'm wondering if it's because of the way the show is is shot which is a style that was developed during season one and by this i mean things like um like the hazy blue light that you know the strong light comes in through the windows and makes all the sets feel very cold especially like the uh like the um, uh the rec room or the, the, the mess hall uh mist in the hallways to give it a diffused look the dutch tilts and the upside down cameras uh the lens flares that obscure people's faces and kind of squish them into the corner of a frame uh, you know, boxing them in um and it occurred to me this is kind of the way you shoot a horror movie isn't it yeah, yeah, that's a good. I'm thinking about they, they've done this a few times now, where they do the the flip where the camera's upside down, and then you go over an object, flip the camera over, and land behind the people who are watching you, know, the shuttle land or whatever. And it's it's a bit fancy just for the sake of being fancy. Um, I don't know that it really adds to or informs anything about the scene. Um, I wonder for for the both of you is that why going to the enterprise is such a such a relief, <laughs> such an emotional thing, um, because it it had a life to it that Discovery doesn't have. That's interesting. Well, and it's yeah, more color certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I was talking with a friend of mine uh, last week who said, "Hey, remember the reason that the." Uh, the Enterprise, uh, not the Enterprise, that Discovery was so dark in the first season was because of Lorca and his aversion to brighter light because of the uh, because of being from the mirror universe. Uh, he's been dead for like 14 episodes now. Maybe we could turn up the lights a tiny bit. <laughs> it's an interesting. It's an interesting, interesting question that you, uh, that you that you pose, Jim. Yeah. And I wonder if it's simply because, well, that's the way the show is supposed to look. Um, but the, the the design was intended to match you know, a much darker story and, and right. they're simply doing it because they, for the purpose of continuity, or is it just something that's the way we do it? Yeah. And, and we had a year off uh, after the war where, you know, some changes have been made to discovery, but, but maybe not enough to warm it up a little after, mm-hmm. after the war. I'm sorry, we, we, we didn't have a year off after the war. Remember, the war uh, ended, and then we oh, were on our yeah, way to right. Vulcan to pick up our new captain, and that's when yeah. uh, that's when Pike sort of waylaid everybody and said, yeah, I'm, you're coming with me, or I'm coming with you, and then you're coming with me, or you know, <laughs> something. Well, in, in, in TV viewing time, we had nearly a year off. I thought in the show, it was like three or four months or something. I, I thought there was a gap in there. Um, somebody in the chat, I'm sure, can correct us here and, and make sure we're on the right path. I'm just saying somebody could decorate in that time. They, they could replicate some stuff from Ikea. Uh, rugs. Get, get Saru on the bridge. Yeah. There'll be plants all over the place in no plants time. Plants everywhere. Much more, has a much more lively. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a fern bridge, I'll grant you. But, you know, <laughs> it's got a, got a nice warm feeling. Jim, right. was there anything else on your mind tonight? Well, that's about it. Uh, maybe when you guys are at Star Trek Las Vegas, if you can grab anyone on the production team that happens to be on a panel, ask them the question, you know, what's the thinking going on behind the, the style of the show? Is it simply because, you know, that's the way Star Trek's supposed to look now? Or what's, yeah. what's the storytelling purpose? Yeah, it's a good, I think, it's a good I think that's there. Yeah. yeah, it's a good question. 
Thank you very much for, for calling in, Jim. I appreciate sure. it. Or we appreciate it. I'm sorry. I, yeah, that those two weeks that you were gone, John, when I yeah. sort of like was was like the host with sort of a co-host. But like it all went all, to hell, right? Yeah, well, no, it just all went to my head. Now I'm like, hey, thanks for calling me tonight. I appreciate your calling me. Uh, 669-900-6833. If you'd like to talk to John tonight, 669-900-6833. You can also use the one top from your smartphone or use the link in the uh, in the uh, in the Facebook page there. Uh, Runner-up moment for me, by the way, John, and I think what all of this speaks to is I have jokingly said for years that Pike is my captain, yeah, and it was always because we didn't really see much of Pike, and so Pike hadn't really had time to disappoint us. Now we've seen Pike a lot, and he still hasn't disappointed. My runner-up emotional moment for the night uh, is when Pike left Discovery for the last time in the episode, and when they all, you know got his attention and all stood at attention for him and he stood at attention for them as well. Sure. There's that, you know, wondering, is this going to get weird? But mostly I really appreciated the fact that they let us give him a send off from this ship. Um, that was really just a, that was, that was my other, that was my other emotional moment. I, I agree. And I, it was done in a way that I, again, where they were showing instead of telling, which was the right way to do it. All you had to do is just stand up. And it was perfect. It was really perfect. Uh, let's go to Corey, who has been patiently standing by. Corey, welcome to the show. Hello. You got, I trust I'm not muted. No, you are on and you are live. Good. And, uh, excellent. Yeah. Good. How are you tonight? I'm well, thanks. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned the point about the um, sort of salute, sort of salute, because they, there's no salute in... Uh, normally, that would be a situation where the crew would salute the captain as they left, but right. there appears appears to be no such thing as a salute in Starfleet, which is cool. I'm fine with that. It was interesting. The position that they actually took, and I'm sorry, this is ex-military guy, um, is called parade rest. Um, it's a resting position, you know, hands behind the back, legs slightly apart, and so on. Um, uh, the more respectful positions actually... Um, standing at attention, so arms rigid at the side and so on. Um, I, do, I think that little snap might have made a difference. I'm sorry, it's minutia, but um, I, it was nice. It, I'm with you. It was a very emotional moment. It was really good. I am just going to miss the heck out of Pike, um, but uh, that's been said plenty of times by many people, and I'm glad it sounds like CBS might be hearing that. Um, the other character that I think is just carrying – Every scene that she's in is Tig Mataro um, as um, uh, named Jet Jet, uh, Reno. Jet Reno. Yeah, Jet mm-hmm. Reno. She <laughs> her Scrabble game has no Fs. Um, she, <laughs> she, <laughs> she is fantastic, and you can just tell she's three steps ahead of everybody, and it just has that weariness of you guys will catch up. You'll figure out what I'm talking about in a few seconds. I'll give it to you. know, give you the time. I, I just love her. Just absolutely love her. I hope, I hope some series is able to use her. Um, she's, uh, yeah, she, she's got that thing that Ken and I talked about uh, when she was first introduced where like, uh, like a Gary Lockwood in where no man has gone before and a handful of other characters we've met along the way, you, you just feel like they belong there right away. Like there's no, there's a kind of, and it's not just Star Trek, but a a lot of shows like Star Trek, whether, you know, something quasi-military, there's kind of a formality to the show and thus a formality to the acting. And it's a lot of, you know, stopping and standing and delivering a line and and moving on. And like uh, uh, Next Gen in particular, I remember reading somewhere that they had this rule and I think it even went up through uh, Voyager where no lines of dialogue ever overlapped. And it was partly the efficiency of production where you needed to have clean cuts for every take so you could cut around that. Uh, and then that started to change. We got into Enterprise, and particularly we can get to the JJ movies where you had the, the luxury of budget and time. Um, but I think that kind of gives the actors the stiffness a lot. But something about Tignataro in particular, she just seems so at home and relaxed. And like you said, no Fs given. So uh, <laughs> yeah. nice to see yeah. her mix that up. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk some plot things. Um, 
I am. I have been struggling with the signals, the seven lights in the sky, sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that's supposed to be biblical or whatever, but um, the okay, they were there, and then they weren't. They they we see several plots of them in space, but we're waiting for them to appear. We can't go back to where they appeared the first time. Isn't that you know? I I, I don't understand. Uh, were they there? Do we we don't know where they're going to appear? That's that seems to be a plot point we keep saying we don't know where the, where the next one's going to appear, and we keep rushing off to them. Didn't we have them mapped? I saw a three D map. <laughs> it's like go to tape. Okay, it was there. Okay, let's go. There. <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't know. No, good, good point. I, I was a, an issue of when they will appear. So if you if you go to signal three, but it's actually signal five that shows uh, up and you're halfway around the, the galaxy. You okay. Missed your window to get to it. So they appear, they disappear. Yeah. Well, except I thought, didn't, didn't they all appear at once in the first yeah. episode, though? Because that was the whole thing. Because like everybody knew about them. But That's, then we know there are going to be seven and we do keep following them. And I'm not, I'm, 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 I think I'm with Corey on this. Yeah. It's something that every time I think about it, I'm like, wait, didn't, didn't we already see them? And now we're following them again. Yes. I'm, 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 I'm reminded we of the part in Austin Powers 2 where uh, the Michael York character said, oh, that's not something for you to worry about, Austin. And then he turns to the camera and says, and you shouldn't either. I, mean, I kind of feel like that's what we're He's going to tell us how many more we have to worry about. And it's like, okay, so we're down to how many? Okay, great, fine. That's, yeah, I'll trust somebody. The, I think they were surprised that the one showed up near Klingon, near the Klingon planet. They were surprised that it showed up there. Well, okay, that wasn't in the plot. I mean, that wasn't on right. the map. Okay, it was already on the map. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I, I'm rambling. I'm going on different points here, but it, it, I hope there's a thread through all of this. I am confused about. Um, oh, well, I'm just. I'm not a time travel guy. I don't. I don't care much for time travel stories. I don't find them very compelling. Bill and Ted had a clearer grasp of the potential for time travel. Um, you know, something you need, put it over here. We'll pick that up next time. You know, remember the next time we come here to leave this thing here. Remember this from Bill and Ted? They had that figured out. These people can't seem to figure that out. Um, I, I think it would have been much more interesting. AI is scary. Real world AI has, you know, world ending scary ramifications. I would have liked to seen that explored instead of this control just being a typical, uh, the, the control is no more sophisticated in terms of the concepts of AI than anything you would have seen in the original run of POS. But we know more now about AI. You know, AI, as, as, as people say now, always gets out of the box. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we, we are, things are not going to end well. That's interesting. Much more to me interesting than time travel. But let's, let's, let's take this for a second. Um, okay. We're going to hide this information from this AI by putting it into the future. Okay. This advanced AI that's smarter than anybody in the room, smarter than any of us. We're not going to outsmart this AI. We're going to outsmart it by putting it into the future because there's no way this AI is ever going to figure out how to get to the future. Except they, they could just wait for the future. Thank you. <laughs> just, I'm going to go in sleep mode. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. The easiest time slot to get to is some point in the future. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah. You'd actually have to, you'd have to hide it in uh, 2000 BC. Or something like that. It may something, be something. Something. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, again, oh, anyway, I have challenges yeah. with this. I, I, I would have. No, that, much that's rather... a great point. And, and like, and when we got there, when we got to the Section Thirty One headquarters, and and the, then the reality of what this was about became apparent. Oh, it's about the AI. It's not about the evil admirals in. Section 31. I got excited because it felt like TOS Trek. It felt like the, the ultimate computer, QCAS. The ultimate <laughs> computer. Yeah. Or, uh, it, yeah, yeah. So it, it felt like, okay, we're, we're going to have to have the showdown where Kirk talks down the computer or something like that. We have to outsmart, uh, the, the logic run amok. Um, but yes, you, you make a very good point about, uh, are they actually outsmarting it or just delaying the problem? So, it, it, um, it, 
I, I'll let somebody else jump on here. There's just um, quick closing. Just, I, time travel things, I think, hurt because the um, it takes the weight out of things. It, it, yeah. It's it's kind of once you kill death, death isn't interesting anymore. Once you've established in your storyline, you can bring people back from the dead. Then, okay, oh, he's going to die. Well, okay, until they bring him back. Um, and time travel has a tendency to do the same sort of thing to storylines. I think it, it waters things down. Um, so I hope uh, season three, you know, kind of steps away from that a little bit, does does less of that. Um, and the, anyway, I, I, I've, I've said enough. I do want to thank you. Got the pin. Thank you very much. I appreciate Wait. that. Um, yeah. And I will, I will keep listening in and hear other people's ideas. I, I love what you guys do. I really appreciate it. And I listen every week. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Thank you. I'm going to do the thing I do. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. Or you can use the one top from your smartphone, or you can use the link from our Facebook page. Uh, coming up next, it is Cosmo. Yeah, there he is. Oh, hey, let's gentlemen. unmute Cosmo. Hey, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. Uh, yeah, guys, don't think too hard about the red signals. One thing that keeps sticking in my craw is, all right, so you're on Saru's planet. And now there's a signal over by Klingon space. That's dozens of light years away. I'm sure we have subspace telescopes that can see through time, but if it, you're just seeing the signals, it's going to take time. Whatever. Don't think too hard about it. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, lots of thoughts. Um, I didn't buy some of these people joining Michael, uh, like Jet Reno, which sounds like a great mm. Star Wars name. Um, <laughs> I don't buy her joining Michael. Uh, the show has not shown any real camaraderie there, uh, especially since she disappeared for 10 episodes. She was in the uh, episode one or two, and then, she, oh, she's still on the ship. Cool. Um, and then uh, Tilly, sure. Stamets, sure. He's got nothing to lose. Um, and, uh, Hugh, fine. He wants to follow, uh, Stamets, but, uh, Wuchikun and Detmer, I, the show has, for me, has not done a good job of building that camaraderie. And it goes back to the problem I had with, uh, the robot's death of, uh, I didn't feel it when, when she was going to saying, flush me out the airlock. I was saying, do it. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few flush her. I, I, I don't mm -hmm. know her. And um, so some of that and some of the extended goodbyes rang a little hollow for me, at least. Uh, I wish Spock wasn't on Discovery uh, going on this mission. I wish they had figured out a, a reason. Okay, he, he needs to be on the Enterprise to help uh, open up the wormhole. Or what he asked, somebody on the Enterprise needs to make sure the wormhole is stable enough for what the time hole for Discovery to go through. Because since Spock's on Discovery, we know he is getting back. And if he was stuck on the enterprise, then almost anything could happen. A discovery might get stuck a thousand years in the future or somewhere in time. But now that we know Spock is there for me, the stakes are a little bit lower. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, having not seen part two, it's tough to say whether or not Spock's actually going to be on discovery when it goes through the time thing, assuming it actually goes through the time thing, but you're right at the end of this episode when like we're all going with you and it's a one-way trip well not for everybody because we've seen spock we've spock please he's got a whole other timeline to create he's he yeah. doesn't have time to be a thousand years in the future forever so you're right maybe um, I'm jumping the yeah gun. maybe in the first five minutes of the episode enterprise is going to say hey we don't have an, we need our science officer back spock we, we need an expert in these red signals you you've been studying them for a while get your butt over here so maybe he will go back on enterprise there has, I mean, yeah, I mean, it would be great, honestly, if they find, I wish they had done that this episode, because, I mean, we don't know anything about the next season of Discovery. I mean, it's possible that the next season of Discovery is 900 years in Discovery's future, which would, would be, it. that'd be kind of amazing, uh, except I don't know how you do that with Spock. Unless, of course, they find some way to come back to the to their to their present or something or like that. Or maybe not even nine hundred years. Maybe they they get part of the way at a couple hundred years. They get uh, post nemesis somehow. Uh, that's where they get dropped off. 
and we move the timeline forward, which I'm dying for. I'm certainly uh, sick of prequels after Enterprise, JJ Trek, and this. I'm ready to jump <laughs> forward. Um, There's a good. I, I will say, and I, I'm with you. I would much rather like look beyond what we know to this point. I, I understand, though. I was thinking about the writing exercise the other day. The second you create the future, it's just somebody started a stopwatch to when your idea of what the future is going to be just turns out to have been quaint, right? I mean, think about how amazingly amazing TOS was. And now people can't watch TOS. Some people can't watch TOS because they can't stand how ridiculous it looks. Now, those people are wrong, but they, I mean, that is, that is a real issue. And so as, I mean, like, if I'm CBS, if I am, you know, creating the next Star Trek series, and if anybody wants to ask me, I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> I understand the reason to, I understand the reason, uh, the, the, the temptation to go back to a time that we already know, because you can't look stupid at that point. Somebody else has already looked stupid. All you can do now is either make it cooler, make it better, or fill in the cracks that you always wish were filled in. Um, that said, it would be great if somebody you know did take the leap and, and went a tiny bit further. Somebody besides the guy from Family Guy, John. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, I mean we, we've kind of talked about this a little bit before. I'm I'm all for staying within that say couple of hundred years that has been Star Trek's real purview. Like the, you know, Enterprise is a little bit of an anomaly, but when you get up to that slightly pre TOS. And then TOS through the end of Voyager. I really like those years. And I think there's a lot of pockets in there to explore. I mean, look, we're saying, oh, no more prequels. And yet there's this petition to get a Pike show on the air. And the Pike show is a prequel. Now it is its own story. It is its own character. It is its own adventure. But we know that Pike is going to end up in a horrible accident in a wheelchair. We know that the Enterprise is going to be handed over to Kirk. So we're kind of on borrowed time. But there's a lot of time in that borrowed time to explore some new stories with that character. And here's the thing. I've always felt like Star Trek, when um, when it's really powerful, it, it creates that bridge between us now, because the stories are truly about us now, and who we want to be. And if it gets to be a thousand years in the future when technology is magic and we can't wrap our heads around what those those magic things will be and those magic things we get to do, I start to lose a little bit of connection to it. Um, you, you know, Voyager had its plot line where you have the time ship from the future and it can just sort of pop in and mess things around and then go away. I, I don't want a whole series about ships that just constantly do that. You know, I, I kind of like where we are in this 23rd, 24th century period, if we get into, say, that that time between TOS and TNG. But that's just me. Yeah, You know, I, I know that there are plenty of people who like like to imagine what those stories would be 100 years after Voyager and beyond that and beyond that. And what about the Enterprise J that we got a glimpse of in, uh, in Enterprise? It doesn't do much for me, but I guess if the stories are awesome, then I would be there. And certainly on this show, I'd give them a chance. And that's hey, the nice thing about Picard's upcoming show. It is 20 years or, you know, a, a small leap forward in the timeline. So it's not, a th you know, generations p past where the technology yeah. is just un inconceivable. Yeah. Cosmo, I hate to do this, but we've got three other callers lined up in about 10 minutes. So I'm going to, I'm going to have to ask you to, well, I'm going to say thank you very much and uh, give us a call back again. Okay. All righty guys. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. Hey, really quickly, before we get to our next caller, I want to remind you about something to do when we are done here, about 30 minutes after we're finished. That's when Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast goes live on Facebook as well. It's Elijah. It's Kenna. It's Antony bringing you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. TV and movie news, gaming news, literary reviews. They will be talking discovery as well. All kinds of stuff. So when you are done with us, your Star Trek pals, please join our other Star Trek pals who can also be your Star Trek pals. Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast streaming live as it happens at facebook.com slash priority one podcast. Or of course, you can check out older episodes at podcast.roddenberry.com.
All right. And it looks like uh, standing by patiently is Brian, who we have uh, waiting for us. Brian, are you there? Brian, looking for Brian. Brian, can you hear me? Hey, is that you, Brian? We have David, actually. We have David. Oh, okay. David, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, um, thanks so much for taking my call. Appreciate it. Uh, Just a couple of really quick bullet points. Um, First of all, I was thinking um, about uh, something that that was in uh, the old Star Trek writers and directors guide that Gene Roddenberry wrote in the 60s, that um, a good Star Trek story would be one that, when stripped of its sci-fi elements, would work well as an episode of another contemporary show. And the conflict between Michael and Control, I think, really fits that because because if you think about it, in every top show that's been around in the last 20 years, um, there's always at some point some super smart criminal that kind of takes a personal interest in making the main character's life miserable. And that's exactly what this is. Hmm. It's just kind of a sci-fi version of that. Uh, and I know like a lot of people don't like it um, and think Gene Roddenberry wouldn't like it. But really, you know, the people that, that uh, have written this are kind of doing what he said back in the 60s. Uh, um, a second thing that I thought of um, is this show is very different from past Star Treks in kind of the same way that uh, your current more thrill-based rides at a park like Epcot um, are from kind of the old Epcot rides are very much very slow rides past exquisitely detailed sets while a narrator talked in very lofty terms about the future and it really kind of engaged your brain on a very high level. And now these kind of newer things really engage you on a more visceral level. Like this show, it kind of really gets you in the fields and then when you think about it, you go, hey, all this stuff doesn't make sense, but that isn't the point. Um, And I think maybe some of the dissatisfaction that people have with the show is they're kind of trying to judge it on uh, by the standards of the shows that came 20 years before and not kind of the way things are now. And uh, I wonder what you, what what y'all think about that? I I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. I, I, I don't think that you have to give up thoughtful, deep philosophical science fiction and, and then replace that with action sequences. You know, uh, Discovery, you, you can kind of set your clock by the action sequence that you know will occur in every episode, whether it's uh, Michelle Yeoh kicking butt or uh, some phaser battle or some spaceship battle or something like that. Um, but at the same time, I'll give them credit for nailing some emotional moments better than I would say some of the earlier shows have done. But it does feel like they, they've gotten right up to the edge of a complex philosophical question that maybe doesn't have a very clean answer and they haven't dived into that. And and I think that they, they have the opportunity to do it. I think they have the writing talent to take that stuff on, but for whatever reason, the structure uh, that that they sort of painted themselves into says, Oh, but, but wait, if you get too close to the 49 minute mark, now we need to have a big plot twist to make people hang on till the next episode. I think it can be done. You know, there are plenty of shows that are serialized shows that deal with big topics. Um, and I, I don't know if Discovery has necessarily found that correct balance yet. What they're doing well, I think they're doing extremely well. My frustrations are with different aspects of the show. Um but, you know, we, we, as Ken said before, we don't know what's coming in season three. Maybe we'll get a better balance in season three. Is anybody's, uh, anybody's uh, game to, to, to make that maybe all fit and reconcile? Ken, any thoughts on that? No. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Sorry, man. I, w- I wish I did. I don't. I mean, I understand. I, I, the one thing, I mean, going back to what uh, you said at the beginning of the call, uh, David, um, yeah. I mean, okay, so it's a bad guy, but the thing is, as Corey said on his last call, AI is like a real thing that's really happening right now. And to dumb the concept of AI down to nothing more than the you must pay the rent, but I can't pay the rent guy doesn't really do a service to anybody, I don't think. Make it a bad guy. I mean, hey, look, lots of people lost lots of people during the Klingon War. There's got to be one or two people who wear a Starfleet uniform who don't like Michael Burnham just because everybody on Discovery does. Make the bad guy a bad guy or make the bad guy a bad gal because artificial intelligence would be smarter than control as being at this point. And I mean, just putting a science fiction name to it 
doesn't actually do it. I mean, there's so many controls, the dumbest AI ever. I mean, it just is. I mean, look, so, so control is over Michael Burnham and I hate to do this, but control is over Michael Burnham with a thing that it wants to stick in Michael's Burnham Burnham's eyes so that it can, you know, inject her with nanobites, right. Or nanobots. Why didn't it just like, you know, drop some of them in her eye because then they wins. Then it wins. I mean, it's, it's, Yes, it is just a silly villain, but the problem is we're supposed to believe it's an amazingly intelligent villain, but everybody's able to stay a step ahead of it, except for Leland, you know, which is kind of a, yeah, I guess he wasn't the mustache twirling villain we thought he was either. I hate to, I hate well, to, end, I hate, yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just saying, you know, um, in the end, the showrunner is a co-writer of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, so. <laughs> It is what it is. All right. Gosh, when you say it that way. Hey, thank you very much for calling in, David. We do actually. Thank you guys. Brian actually is with us, and we got about three minutes left. Brian, are you there, sir? Is Brian, Brian is Brian muted? Has Brian muted himself? Brian, can you hear me? Uh oh. Hello. That's oh. not Brian. Oh. Who do we have? Well, I, this is Karen. Okay. Hey, well, Karen. Right on. Well, and tonight, the part of Brian will be played by David and then by Karen. We're, we're switching it up a bit. Sort of like Pike's been played by three people. Um, what's, yeah. on your mind, what's on your mind tonight, Karen? Well, I know we're short here, but I wanted to say to Ken, I felt the same way about the entry into the Enterprise and Pike on the bridge. And I want to say, for me... Some of it's Anson Mount's performance of Pike, for sure. But for me, in my seven-year-old head, when I was watching the original series back in 1970, that's what it looked like. Mm. You know? It was just, it, my little, my brain was screaming, oh my God, this is how I pictured it in my head. Because when you're seven and you live in that era, it was gleaming and it was, sparkling and it had the buttons and it had I mean you know so some of that for me it was that visceral response is that's how I imagined it that's when I stole the go my sister's go-go boots and went and played in the backyard in my head the enterprise looked like that you know we've all done that Karen we've all done that (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I mean it was it was not my favorite episode of the season but man it was the whole enterprise. I just, I'm so in love. I am so in love with everything to do with Pike, Spock, number one, and the Enterprise. <laughs> there was even a moment of when Ensign Mount was going around or when Pike was going around and saying goodbye to everybody on the bridge. He is, he is just a better actor than I knew. I mean, I knew I was a fan, but he's a better actor than I knew when he stops and walks over and says, Lieutenant Spock, and then just stares at him for a second and says, uh, there are no words. And that's it. And, and he like turns and walks away at that point. There's so much emotion there. And, and oh, I wish the writers had trusted so many of the other actors to deliver the same amount of emotion with fewer words. Because we're constantly be, being told, hey, you're sad about this. And you're sad about this because of this and because of who this person is and what these people have meant to you for so many years. And then Anson Mount just walks up and he's like, without saying I can't, he says, I can't. And then turns around and walks away trying to be cool. There's just so much. I mean, I, I think I said it a week or two ago. If he's not nominated for an Emmy, then there must be some glitch someplace. Maybe it's control, not wanting to have his moment because <laughs> he is just he is just delivered and delivered and delivered this season, I think. Well, there does ha- there is a magic there with him and that character. You know, he has really connected to that character in a in a whole different way. And in a in a cast of extraordinary actors, he has super connected to his character. And I think that really comes across and makes that makes him probably very easy to write for because he will turn anything you write into magic. I mean, in this character, that's how it is working with him. So, yeah. But yeah, I know you're up against the clock and I just needed to say, man, my little seven-year-old head was just screaming with joy. Oh, 
Well, Karen, thank you so much for calling in and uh, please call us again. And uh, for the folks that we didn't get to tonight, uh, please call us back next week. Of course, we'll be covering the final episode of Discovery. Then we will do a wrap up episode after that. After that, hey, who knows? Sky's the limit. We'll just do all kinds of crazy stuff on this show, right? Because the live show will continue after season two of Discovery is wrapped. And I guess uh, with that, Ken, if you'll do us the honors of closing us out. I will let everybody know that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Earl Green. Uh, be sure to visit. I was going to say by Brian. No wait by David. No wait by no, Karen. No by wait Karen. by Earl Green. Uh, be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Not just Mission Log Live and Mission Log, but also Women at War, Priority One, and The Trek Files podcast.roddenberry.com If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, uh, that'd be fantastic. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the way to do that. Thanks to everybody who joined us live or later, and we'll talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.